You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hi, and welcome to Out of Office, the podcast about life and leadership. I'm your host, Malika Kapoor. Every week, I bring you a conversation with a newsmaker speaking at a Bloomberg Live Summit. This chat, which we record offstage, is freewheeling and it's informal. We talk about things our newsmakers don't get asked about in their offices, their childhood, aspirations, mentors, first jobs, high points, setbacks, downtime, family, and love. Because these influences make them who they are and define how they lead. This week... I think silence equals death is that was the rallying cry. And for me, that was an awakening because lives were on the line. Meet Dan Lee, the son of North Korean refugees, the only gay Asian kid in South Dakota, Harvard Divinity School graduate, now executive director at the Levi Strauss Foundation. I'm part of a company that's 167 years old. Um, I've been part of the company for about 10% of that time. And throughout the history, we've not shied away from using our voice, our influence, our products to weigh in on what we care about. Dan joined us at the Bloomberg Equality Summit in Mumbai, where he caught up with my colleague Mark Dawson. Here's their conversation out of office. Hi there. Reading up on Dan, I found there's very little written about his early years. So I started by going back to the beginning. I asked about his family. Both my parents were born in North Korea. And at the age of um, 12 for my father and around 5 for my mother, um, they fled across the border to South Korea and uh, had to rebuild their lives there in Seoul. It's taken me a long time to really understand, I think, some things you only get later in life. And it's taken me to, the, to maybe my 40s to really understand what it's meant for me to be a child of refugees and to understand how so many of the aspects of their experience and how they responded to that impacted my life. And I, th- and I think there's sort of two types of folks. Some people can sort of amble through the world at a leisurely pace, and there's others that have a fierce sense of urgency and don't know if there's going to be a tomorrow. And I think my family, uh, my parents, become, by virtue of that, um, really falls into that, that, that category of, of, of that sense of urgency. Um, it was drilled into me as a child and was very motivated. And it wasn't good enough to be good at something. It was, it was you know, my parents wished, wished for the best. And 
as immigrants to the United States, it was important that we'd be five times better. So it was, it was about collection of superlatives. And, you know, it was a burden in, in many ways. But now, now later in life, I realize, you know, it's a gift having that sense of, of purpose and, and urgency and wanting to, to make the most of one's time. So would your, would your parents sort of sit you down and tell you stories about what, what happened or were they, did you have to tease it out of them as you, as you grew up? Sure. Well, my parents emigrated to the States in the late 60s. Um, they had a semi-arranged marriage in Korea, settled in Philadelphia. And when I was age three, we moved to South Dakota. I grew up on 10 acres of land uh, with two horses, two cats, and two dogs. Um, and we were the second Korean family in the history of the state. So I grew up with really quite an inexorable, inexorable sense of what it meant to be an outsider. At that point, I really had no access to what Korea was. My parents didn't really talk about it um, and really had access to what it meant to be Korean through food. And we drove three hours to Omaha, Nebraska uh, to, for the nearest Korean grocery a few times a year. But when it came to their childhoods in Korea, they, they were very tight-lipped about it. And um, they you know, definitely faced a lot of trauma. They ate grasshoppers. Um, there was so little food to eat. You know, I, can, I know that you know, my mother has post-traumatic stress when she hears helicopters or, or loud noises. But now that they're in their 70s and 80s, the gift of, of, of time is, is they're, they've, they're, they're very forthright in talking about their, their, their childhoods. And it's, it's really a gift when I, when I, when I visit them. I, I really try to make the most of that. In 1972, only one Korean family lived in South Dakota. Dan's family became the second. He was also gay, which made him a double minority. Well, it was, it was you know, hard enough being um, among the only Asians and not really having a sense of what that, of the through line to that heritage and a lot of mystery. You know, growing up gay, I really thought I was the only, only person. And you know, I went to public high school with um, 1,500 people. Um, there was one person who was out. Um, he got beat up a lot. And it was great to, you know, to actually see him at my 20th um, reunion um, about 10 years ago and actually thank him for, you know, for, for paving the way. And I came out to my parents at age 20 and my father was immediately supportive. And that was one of the biggest surprises of my life. And he's actually a gynecologist and studied genetics. So he gave me a clinical answer. He said, well, you know, 10% of all people are, and, and I'm glad you told me. And for my mother, you know, she, she said, turn yourself to Jesus. It was a very, very painful time in my life. And I was going through a very difficult period. I was actually suicidal for six months. And, but I let her know, this is what I'm going through, mom. And I'm still the same person that you raised. And I, I also said, if, if I can't get your full support, it's going to be really hard for me to visit. You know, it, but, you know, after two years, a year or two, I asked her again, how do you feel about the fact that I love other men? And do you feel it's a sin? And, and she said, no. And, she was afraid of losing me. And at the end of the day, she realizes I'm still the same person. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers, they're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. 
Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. What made Dan's coming out process even more complicated was the timing. It was at the height of the AIDS crisis in the United States, when sex between men was associated with death. What a welcome, Matt, to puberty, thinking that and I knew inside that I was gay and, you know, really wanted to pray it away. To come of age at a time where associating sex with death and seeing, you know, I think people who are a generation, not generation um, older than me, you know, about 10 years older, literally lived through holocausts in large cities. I was about 26 when antiretrovirals, you know, the, those, those um, medications came into being. But... You know, everyone I knew about with, within five or 10 years, um, older or younger, when they came of age, we got involved with HIV AIDS work. Our lives were on the line. And I really admire the work of groups like ACT UP that really fought for treatment, that really fought. I think silence equals death is that was the rallying cry. And for me, that was an awakening because lives were on the line. I, I never would have probably seen myself as an activist growing up in South Dakota, but seeing that urgency you know, th those, those times really shaped us. HIV is a fascinating thing. I think there's never been a, a, a medical condition in human history that's been more stigmatized. There's been, you know, diseases like the plague that are stigmatized because they're deadly and highly contagious. But with HIV, you have uh, something that is transmitted by, um, by sexual contact and intravenous drug use. So um, if you wanted some, I, I took a class from the first head of what's now UNAIDS, um, and, and he said, if you wanted to inv invent a super virus that penetrated to every corner of society and preyed on those that were already most vulnerable, make it sexually transmitted. So, you know, it's been really key to, to look at HIV as a human rights issue because we look at people who are already vulnerable in society. And, you know, this, this includes gay men, people who inject drugs, sex workers, people who are transgender. And if we don't extend our compassion and our values to put them at the center of the response, um, we will woefully fail. After high school, Dan studied early Christianity at Harvard Divinity School, an interesting choice given his mother suggested he turn to Jesus after he came out. So my, my finding was that there, there were uh, condemnations of homosexuality in early Christianity, but they were rooted in, and they were rooted in, in a world order at the time that saw um, homosexuality is threatening to this view that men were superior to women, and especially gay men who, um, who, who had sex with other men were seen as giving up power. So looking at that historical context, um, it just taught me really, I think, this, this um, an understanding of history with winners and losers, of understanding of looking at the nature of humanity, is it good or not? How do gender relations happen? How are outsiders looked at? And that really guided me. In 2015, the US legalized same-sex marriage, a milestone for the gay community. However, since then, there have been over 600 anti-LGBTQ bills in the US. Yeah, it's, it's quite a complex story. I mean, 2015 uh, was a watershed moment and I, I never would have expected marriage equality in my lifetime. And what that, what that has meant at the, at the level of values so that young folks can say, I belong. It's, it's been monumental, but since then there have been 600, as you said, 600 plus anti-LGBT bills at the state level. And it's been a concerted strategy that's been unfortunately highly effective. And these have come in, th in generally three forms. There are initiatives to invalidate anti-discrimination protections. 
uh, to allow for discrimination on the basis of, basis of religious belief, or third, those, those what I think are heinous transgender um, bathroom bills, not allowing people to use um, the bathroom of their gender identity. And you know, this is the most highly disruptive moment I think many of us have faced. And for most of us it was, it, in the States, it was the 2016 presidential election. And I'll admit myself to being really surprised by the result. Where, where were you? I was um, in San Francisco and you know, we had a town hall meeting at Levi Strauss and our CEO, his name is Chip Berg and he has a monthly meeting called Chips and Beer. So I, I needed a beer and I was really hungover. But someone inevitably asked him, what do you believe, what do you think about this election result? And his answer was unequivocal. And he said, I believe more than ever, this is a moment to show the country and the world what it means to be a values-driven institution. And with, with courage and empathy and integrity and short supply. Um, and he really pointed to our company being founded by an immigrant. And that diversity and inclusion has really been a hallmark of who we are as a company. And saying, if, th if there are times to really stand up and live our values, these are those moments. Even deeper than that, I think companies are playing a role as a moral compass in a way that I think is, is really different than, than, than years past. And I think for, for our company, since we are an American icon, we believe that what we say about America matters and really taking a stand for an inclusive America. Business leaders need to lead by example. A lesson Dan learned from Bob Haas, the great-great-grandnephew of Levi Strauss. When I became the head of the foundation, um, 11 years ago, he took me aside and he said, change comes from the margins. I don't, you, I, I don't want you to forget who you are. I think hearing those words, it really gave me permission to bring my full self to work and to really, you know, I think unleash authentic self-expression, which is actually what our, our, company is all, our company and our brand is all about. And, you know, it, when I think about actually LGBT rights and the corporate sector, one thing that really comes to mind is so much of corporate cultures tend to be built around conformity. And one of the most fundamental things when it comes to people who are LGBT or especially gender nonconforming, there's a whole spectrum of gender expression, is to create spaces where people can express themselves and be who they are. And it really starts with dress. You know, I'm, I'm proud to be dressed casually. And in some ways, I never have to hope to, to dress up in a way that you know, is, is grown up in a way. But to be able to bring my full self to work has been, I think, a really critical part of my journey. And I probably wouldn't have gazed into the crystal ball growing up in South Dakota or certainly in divinity school thinking, you know, working for a corporate foundation and being able to do that. But I think it, for business leaders, creating those environments, it's really key, I think, for, to, you know, to create a better society and to create um, better workplaces. That was Mark Dawson's conversation with the Levi Strauss Foundation's Dan Lee. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And remember, you can find more episodes of Out of Office on the Bloomberg Terminal or on our website, Bloomberg.com. We're also on Twitter. Our handle is simply at podcasts. We'd love it if you could take a minute to rate and review our show. Please do that if you can. And I do hope you'll join us again for more candid, informal conversations. This episode was produced by Laura Carlson. I'm Malika Kapoor. You can find me at This Is Malika on Twitter. Thank you for listening.
Don Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.